welcome to another episode of The Good Vanilla, a Barefoot Contessa podcast where the chicken stock is homemade, store-bought is just fine, and the vanilla is always good. I am your host, Nick Kachanov, and today we are expecting a surprise guest on The Good Vanilla. Uh, well, not not like an actual guest on the podcast, but a guest in Ina's home. That is the theme of today's episode, which is, uh, I almost said brought to you by, but uh, essentially, I, I think if you all remember last week, I put out the bat call to uh, really any listener out there who wants to suggest or rather request an episode for me to cover. And I got a lovely message from Joe on Instagram. And they suggested um, mystery guest for the next episode, which is, um, they write, it's a quintessential Ina shenanigans with a Mel Brooks bonus. The food is simple, but then she casually pulls out a wedge of cheese that probably cost $726 for dessert. Lots of weird banter slash jokes. It's such a perfect episode, or it's just such a perfect episode. And I agree. I mean, I, I did... Uh, by reading that um, DM from Joe, I did ruin the surprise of the episode. That is, it is indeed Mel Brooks who shows up to Ina's house. And I remember this episode. It is quintessential zany chaos at the Garden household. And I am so thrilled to be covering it today. It's a great suggestion. So thank you, Joe. And again, anyone else who wants to write in, whether that's, uh, you know, through Twitter or Instagram at goodvanillapod or, you know, send me an email at uh, goodvanillapod at gmail.com. Just request it and maybe I'll do it. So without further ado, I say we I say we get into it. This is again, the episode is called Mystery Guest which is season nine, episode 10. And Ina begins, I think she's out in her garden, if I'm remembering correctly. She says, my friend Susan Stroman is coming for dinner and she's bringing a mystery guest. I wonder who it is. And then she gives this like, look at the camera. And then she says, so I'm planning a stylish and easy meal that's guaranteed to wow anybody with drinks, the perfect icebreaker, blinis with smoked salmon and creme fraiche, then a delicious cream of wild mushroom soup that I can make in advance, and my favorite Parmesan chicken with a salad and shaved Parmesan on top. For dessert, juicy pears, a great Stilton cheese, and a glass of port. <laughs> um, for those of you, I want to start by saying there's a lot to unpack in that opening there, but um, what I will say, for those of you who don't know Susan Stroman, she is a director, choreographer, she won a Tony Award for directing and choreographing the producers on Broadway. I feel like that's her her biggest claim to fame, but she is a uh, you know, a multi-Tony winning like fixture of the Broadway community. She directed uh The Scottsboro Boys. I think uh she also choreographed for Crazy for You, uh Contact, Showboat, t- to name a few. Um she's a big deal. And it makes perfect sense that Mel Brooks would show up or that she could get Mel to be on the show because obviously they collaborated together during the producers, so it's all very it's all very lovely and um let's get into it, <laughs> shall we? So Ina starts off with this cream of wild mushroom soup. And I agree, 
like cream of mushroom soup on paper doesn't sound great because my mind immediately goes to like Campbell's cream of mushroom soup, which is like what my mom used for like, you know, tuna casserole. It's just like anything that I don't know. I'm not trying to diss the cream of mushroom soup because you know why? You know why my reservations are there? Because this is, in my opinion, a psycho, uh, (laughs) a psycho choice, but Keon, my beloved Keon, um, his favorite soup is cream of mushroom soup. And when he told me that, I was like, whoa. <laughs> like all I think I posed the question, like, what's your favorite like canned soup? I don't think I said soup of all time. I mean it might be his favorite soup of all time. Oof, but cream of mushroom soup from the can is not great, y'all. Have I eaten it? I've never eaten it, but I've had it in things like like I said before, like the tuna noodle casserole, amongst like other casserole legs like dishes i'd rather go for like a cream of celery or a cream of chicken like to substitute for the cream of mushroom but um you know i'm not gonna i'm not gonna shade anyone for liking mushrooms and mushrooms are a little bit of a gamble with me but the soup that i made today like what i'm about to describe is actually great i would try this in a heartbeat so she uses three types of mushrooms. She uses portobello, uh, cremini, and shiitake. I think shiitake um, is my favorite kind of mushroom. I just think they're like I like that. I like that they're thin. I like that they're they have a little bit more texture. There, I feel in my mind. I know portobellas are pretty meaty, but I feel like if portobello is like the substitution for steak. Like shiitake mushrooms are like a substitution for like beef jerky. I don't. I can't explain it. I'm not gonna even defend it just go with it okay I just love shiitakes I I think they're great so she separates the stems from the caps and she chops up a carrot as well as an onion uh, because she's making mushroom stock which sounds like a nightmare to me but also like I understand it's it's needed for this recipe so she sautés the carrots and onions and she adds the mushroom stems into that to kind of just uh do their thing I guess she's she throws a big sprig of thyme and um essentially just kind of lets that boil for a while or just kind of not boil uh just kind of like cook down I guess um and then she holds up a leek that is the size of a baseball bat it is like the biggest it's the biggest leek I've ever seen I don't know why she has it but um you know it's a lot of soup as she would say um and as we all know by now, you have to rinse the sand out of the leeks because they are, I guess, really the dirtiest vegetable um, for all intents and purposes, really, here, I guess. So she gives them a big rough chop once they're clean, and she puts a stick of butter and some oil in a stock pot, and then she um, she throws the chopped leeks in there in order to sort of also just soften up a little bit. Um, next, she fills up that beautiful beautiful pyrex that pyrex that i've been uh, you know craving for the past however many weeks it was she puts six cups of water into that pyrex that's a big pyrex like it looks like it's glass too i'm surprised i would have trouble carrying six cups of water in that pyrex i wonder how much it i feel like it might be an eight cup pyrex i really do because i was trying to like look at the line to see how filled it was and i feel like it was filled pretty much almost the whole way. Does anyone else have that Pyrex? I'm jealous if you do. Um, and if you do have it, let me know. I could also just Google this, but you know, it's more fun to you know, interact with all you listeners. <laughs> if you do have the Pyrex, let me know. Uh, I'm curious. 
So um, while that's, where were we here? We were talking about the mushrooms. Um, oh yeah, she fills up the Pyrex with water and she pours that into the mushroom, onion, and carrot mixture. And that is uh, eventually going to become the stock. So she kind of puts, I don't know if she put a lid on it or if she just lets it sort of simmer away. Um, so while that's happening, she says, in the meantime, I don't think it's a party until the table is done, <laughs> which is a great line. Um, her first, So we kind of go through, you know, a little bit of, I feel like we've gone through this before, a little bit of, um, you know, hostess 101, dinner party 101, Ina's like hot tips for the day, you know? Um, so she is doing, she says her first rule of entertaining is um, a small round table. She says it's the best way for people to connect and get to know each other. I do agree, but I think the the one episode that I feel she was talking about being in the kitchen, she's like, I like to have dinner in the kitchen. I like it to be a small table. And there were just too many people. Like, I feel like four or five people, especially with the size table that she had, is enough. Like, I think there were only four people there today because Jeffrey does show up uh, along with Susan and Mel. Um, so I, 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 there is some logic to that. I do like the idea because sometimes when you're at a dinner party and it's a, you know, a rectangle table, you're just, you, you're kind of stuck with who you sit by. Even if you go out to dinner, that's always like my least favorite. Like I kind of like to get there a little bit early, if not like earlier before everyone. So I can have my choice of seat um, because I want to surround myself with like, if you're going to celebrate a party and, and like the person, like a birthday party at a restaurant and you only know the person that it's their birthday and you don't really know any of their friends or maybe some of them are weird. Who knows? I just feel like that is a priority for me. Like I, I'm like, I, we need to get there so we can have a seat by, you know, blankety blank instead of sitting by blankety blank. Um, I feel like there's some strategy there, too. So and I think the same goes for dinner party. If you show up late or. You know, you're like, oh, I guess I got to have to sit by you. Okay, how are you? And then you make small talk, and most of the time it's fine. I'm just being, you know, if I had a choice, you're gonna choose. I think that should be a priority. But anyway, but really, it's all for naught because Ina has already thought of it with this circular table. Anyway, uh, what is her next tip? She says, oh, she says when she's she's setting the table with the plates and everything, and she says. When she's shopping for plates, she says, I'm always tempted to buy those gorgeous, colorful plates. But the truth is, food looks so much better on white. Which I think we all know by now that, like, Ina very rarely brings out, like, the good china or the good plates. Like, as far as anything that has any detail, it's not as common in the in the garden household. But at the same time, I do buy into that. I do buy with simplicity or, you know, buy into that idea of simplicity where it's just, you know, let the food be the, uh, I guess, the star of the show in a way. Like, just give it a blank canvas um, and make it happen. And I agree with you, Anna. Um, she also has a green and white striped cloth. We all know that like color green. It's not like it's like a barefoot Contessa green. It's not like neon green, but it's like just a couple shades darker where it's not so loud, but it like really works at the same time with the white and it's just a beautiful tablecloth. So um, I think those are the two. Yeah, those are like the tips that we, we talked about the plates, the tablecloth and the round table. And so next she walks over to the buffet and starts to build uh, dessert. She So she sets all the pears down in like a grid. She sets them on like their butt almost, I guess. Like, But they're just like standing straight up. They're beautiful. They're right out of like a Harry and David like 
box of pears. Have has anyone ever had those? Oh my god, they are so good. And I know that's not not like news to most, like that Harry and David has great pears, but I just never I think Keon got one for I feel like someone like maybe it was a work gift or someone maybe it was a gift from one of his cousins or something. A Harry and David like box of pears. Ugh. I mean, I've talked about pears very minimally on this show, but like there's nothing like a good pear. You really can't compete with it. And then you often you ask yourself, why don't I buy pears more? And but they're not like once you have the Harry and David pear, it's like, ugh, nothing's going to compare to this. It's just like it ruins pears almost in a way. But uh, that being said, uh, their pears are delicious. And so they so so are Ina's really. They look lovely. But she does say, and I, obviously we all know this rule too, that is like, if you're going to have dessert, just like, just set up a side table or have it on the buffet. Just have it near you so you don't really have to, um, as Ina puts it, leave the fun so often. Because it is, I think that's part of the, the beauty of hosting is just like, in addition to like the stress of like entertaining, it really is about ultimately being with your guests. So I, I do feel that cuts down. I mean, yeah, the kitchen is, you know, it's 10, 15 seconds longer away, but why not have it closer? It's just like a nice tip. Um, she boasts at the end of this segment and she's like, and I'm not worried about the mystery guests. There's something for everybody here. <laughs> That's what she says. And it just made me laugh. Um, so Ina is back in the kitchen. She's cutting up the mushroom caps. We all know that she put the stems in the stock, but the caps of the mushrooms are going into the uh, a different sort of stock pot. It's the one with the leek. So she puts the caps into that pot um, with some butter and she strains the mushrooms, uh, mushroom stock, excuse me, and then adds a quarter cup of flour to the mushrooms and leeks, the mushroom caps. And then she adds, you know, a cup of dry wine, just something, something you would have in the fridge, Ina says. And uh, I feel like her rule of thumb, excuse me, with wine is... Um, you know, something that you would drink, I guess, which I mean, I've drank a lot of shitty wine. So I don't know, my standards are probably pretty low for like anything I've had in the refrigerator. I've evolved over the years. But you know, I feel like what Ina has in the fridge compared to like what I have in the fridge is gonna be a little different. So sometimes I wish she would just tell me, you know, like a certain brand, like just buy this brand. But uh, I'm sure wine is wine in a lot of ways. Who knows? Okay, so she chops up some parsley. That's for garnish later. And um, into uh, the soup, once like the stock is put in there, she adds one cup of cream and then one cup of half and half, which is like, whoa. It's a lot of cream. I I am not bothered by cream, but every time I think of like Keon, his, he's like lactose intolerant and in and, and many ways. <laughs> or I guess it's really only one way to be lactose intolerant. But like anytime that he, we, we're at a restaurant or like he sees something that's just like, every time we watch Ina, honestly, like anytime like he watches her like put like a whole like two cups of half and half, he's like, whoa, uh, because it would make him like explode. But, um, you know, that's how she rolls. So sorry. Uh, and then eventually the soup is ready and then she adds a little bit of parsley in it at the last second. And that's that. So what do we have next? Uh, okay. So next up is the Bellinis with smoked salmon. And I am not saying Bellini. I'm saying Bellini, which is B-L-I-N-I. And I looked it up because I was like, what is this? It's like, so basically the difference between a Bellini and a pancake 
because they're very similar, is that a pancake is a thin uh, batter cake fried in a pan or on a griddle in oil or butter, in oil or butter, excuse me, while Bellini is a small pancake of Russian origin made from buckwheat flour, traditionally served with melted butter, sour cream, and caviar or smoked salmon. To me, it's a pancake, but don't tell the Russians, you know? I'm Russian, it's fine. My last name is Kachanov. My last name means uh, core of the cabbage in Russian, which is very specific. <laughs> but um, I mean, I love cabbage, so it all fits. But anyway, I, I, I don't see a big difference. I believe the biggest difference here is like probably the buckwheat flour as opposed to, I mean, pancakes can also have buckwheat flour in it too, but I think it's more of a savory sort of hors d'oeuvre if I'm speculating or just kind of making an educated guess as opposed to a pancake that uh, maybe at times can be savory but for the most part is sweet maybe not as puffy I guess so so she starts this recipe by whipping up some clarified butter which essentially is I've never done it but I've seen it I've seen it on Ina and a couple other shows as well it's essentially melting a stick of butter and then letting the milk solid sort of stick to the bottom of the saute pan and just and then you kind of scoop the clear golden liquid on top. It looks great. I feel like is clarified butter what they serve with like lobster uh, or, or like crab legs. Am I getting that wrong or is that just butter? Could be both anyway. Um, but anyway, that's that's how she starts out the recipe because that's eventually there's a little bit in the, that goes in the batter and then she also also cooks or I guess fries the blinis uh, in clarified butter as well. So um, Ina, sticking to the tradition of the buckwheat flour, she adds a third of a cup of buckwheat flour, but then she adds two thirds of a cup of all-purpose flour. I wonder if like a true blini doesn't have all-purpose flour. I'm imagining it's probably buckwheat, but she says she's lightening it up a little bit because buckwheat tends to be a little bit more heavy, which I can I can understand, but... As far as the authenticity of the Bellini, I feel like it's probably 100% buckwheat, but I don't know. I'm I'm also, you know, taking an educated with, guess with, with that as well. Um, so she adds some baking powder and, and salt to the dry ingredients. Um, uh, the wet ingredients, you know, the usual suspects here. We have uh, an egg. She uses extra large eggs, um, in case you don't know. Some milk and then a tablespoon of the clarified butter. And then she gives that all a whisk and then combines the ingredients. Uh, and now it's it's basically time to put the bellinis on the, in the little saute pan. So she adds a little uh, clarified butter and then she puts a tablespoon of batter into the pan. And they're like, they're like dollar pancakes, if anyone's ever had those, you know, they're just like little guys and they look, they definitely look like pancakes, I'm sorry. Um, you know, but it's, it's maybe like the Russian version of that, I guess. So why or I guess like once they're all done I think she makes like 16 of them she unwraps the toppings that are going to go on the bellinis which is uh this like beautiful smoked salmon and then some creme fraiche and just like a, like the tiniest sprig of fresh dill honestly I could eat this whole platter of these bellinis she makes 16 but I could I mean there's four people so each of them get four and I guess if it's like if I know more foods coming but like left to my own you know just left on my own I would probably eat all these without blinking uh because they're so tiny too I don't know but they look great I would I would totally be all over these so next Ina is off she's out and about she is going to Cavaniola's which is uh I guess like a local 
I mean, all I see is cheese, but it reminds me of some sort of like cheese Italian shop that's in East Hampton. We'll add it to the list of the, uh, you know, the spots in East Hampton that I'll, I'll look, I'll tour whenever I'm there eventually one day. Um, but she's there for some Stilton and I, she, or she speaks with, uh, Michael, who's the guy behind the counter to get a cheese. She says, I need a cheese that will pair well with port and pears. And Michael holds up this like gorgeous five-year-old Gouda. Can you imagine? Ugh, it looks great. Ina says, <laughs> she says, she's like, it looks like a hundred-year-old Gouda. It does look pretty crusty, but I would be so into it. And she takes a bite of it and she's like barely, she's barely even taking the bite and begins chewing when all of a sudden she's like, what about a Stilton? It's like she knows what she wanted. I'm like, don't even pretend you were going to get the Gouda. Ugh, I wish she got that Gouda. I still think about it. It's, it's really, it's a good Gouda. Gouda. I sounded very Pittsburgh when I said that. Gouda. Um, so anyway, she, uh, he shows her the, um, the four month old Stilton. Not as good as a five-year-old Gouda, but you know, it'll do. And it does look good. Again, I've, I've talked out my blue cheese opinions before on the pod. I think I, I think I need to try a Stilton, but maybe not this one because it is, she gets the biggest chunk of cheese. Joe, you were not wrong when you talked about this cheese, that this hunk, it's not even like a hunk of cheese. It's like, it's more substantial than a hunk. It's like the size of a bowling ball. Like there's no way four people could possibly ever eat this in like a week, let alone like, <laughs> like one night. But I guess if Mel Brooks is coming, you're going to get the cheese and hope that he likes blue cheese because that's a choice. I feel like most people don't, but I guess it's probably because I don't like it that I assume everyone else does not like it as well. Anyway, it's too big. And I'm, I'm, I, I, I thought maybe she was going to cut it up a little bit more when she got home, but she does not. She just, uh, you know, well, we'll get into it in a, in a bit here. So, uh, she's back at the house. She goes back for, uh, to make this Parmesan chicken, which honestly, um, I feel is when I had Trent on the podcast um, from Storebot is Fine on Instagram. Go follow Trent, everyone. Um, I think he said, or I, I think I saw um, one of his posts or maybe we talked, we chatted about it on the podcast that he was on, but that the Parmesan chicken is like something that he makes a lot and is like consistently always great. So I was excited to kind of revisit this. I feel like this is definitely something that I can make like on a weeknight or, you know, a weekend. Um, so she starts by sort of lining up the ingredients that she'll she'll eventually like dredge the chicken and I love that word dredge it just makes it just makes me hungry like immediately I don't know why for like fried chicken but so she has flour and salt and pepper in one bowl and then two eggs with like a little bit of water in the second one and then a cup of seasoned breadcrumbs in the third it's like a bowl like kind of like a plate slash bowl I guess um and she say she says rather like in a knowing in a somewhat like knowing way she's like when she pours the breadcrumbs out because they're in a can and I feel at this point like she's so known for making her own breadcrumbs and maybe was getting in my mind this is like the subtext behind what she's about to say she says you don't have to make your own and then she kind of like looks at the camera and like I know I know I make my own breadcrumbs it was like one of those moments where it was um I don't know. It was like this sort of like self-referential, like, I know I make my own breadcrumbs. You don't have to do it at this time. But like most of the time she would probably recommend homemade breadcrumbs. But I think with this, 
it's it's an easy recipe. So I, I understand why she would go with the canned bread. She, she did say, just make sure they're fresh, which, you know, she had to put her eye in a twist on it there. You know, if you're going to use store-bought, make sure it's the best kind of, you know, the best quality of store-bought. So she chops up... Um, the parmesan wedge which is which just looks beautiful like this it's it's stunning this little wedge of uh parmesan which of course she throws into the food processor processor and she after she like blitzes it up she's like how fast is that <laughs> i don't think i've ever heard her say that before it was uh it made me giggle so what's next so she tenderizes the chicken between two pieces of wax paper and she she gets to whacking really with a rolling pin she really goes at it and um and then she takes them down the assembly line of flour and eggs and then just breadcrumbs. I feel like if I did this, it would just, I would only really think of like the eggs and the breadcrumbs. I wouldn't think to like flour it first and then put the egg on it. So I love that. I love that like sort of seal of, I, I don't, I'm, I don't even know what to speculate that does. I'm, I'm assuming it probably creates a little bit of a barrier, like the flour to just, to just keep the, the chicken moist. I don't know. But um, either way, I trust you. Ina knows what she's doing. Um, so where do we have it? So af- after they're all coated, she um, it's like two or three minutes on each side in the saute pan. And that's really it. She puts them on a, um, a cooking, sh- uh, like a baking sheet. And uh, it's like the textbook definition of golden brown. These these uh, these Parmesan chickens, they're they're so beautiful and they look great. She puts them in the oven for like about 200 degrees so that they stay warm until the guests arrive. And speaking of the guests, the first guest, of course, as we mentioned before, is Miss, you know, Miss Susan Stroman. Stro, as Ina calls her in a bit. Um, Ina says, I'm dying to know who the mystery guest is. And then it's like, cue that little like jaunty music. It's like, dun, dun, bam, da, 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 and we see our first like we cut to the sidewalk in front of Ina's house which where a few episodes back I think it was one of the episodes where Ina went away I think it might have been the episode where uh I almost called him Jeremy Jeffrey um it's like the espresso ice cream and like the soup and she leaves him she's going away for the weekend and then she calls him and says like you're so busted but I I was commenting in that episode how the front of her house which I what I'm assuming is the front of her house looks like the sidewalk just goes right into the street but we did see in this clip of Mel um that there is a sidewalk it's like a little hill and then it goes down and there's a sidewalk there so uh you know, we're that much closer to knowing the layouts, at least the exterior of Ina Garden's house, which is, you know, super exciting to me. And I just had to mention it. Um, so, like I said, we catch our first glimpse of Mel and then we pan back to Ina, Jeffrey and Susan. Jeffrey's there, by the way, I forgot to mention, but of course he's there. And Ina asks, OK, are we talking Broadway or are we talking film? And Susan says both with like a coy sort of like grin and the doorbell rings so Ina answers it and she says it's Mel as if like he's been to her house multiple times he probably has and I will say this about Mel Brooks like I feel like he has that sort of like Robin Williams energy where he's always at a 10 and maybe he was playing enough for the camera but he's a lot in this episode but also you know it's Mel Brooks what am I gonna say I'm not gonna like shit on Mel Brooks he's a he's like a legend but I will say 
<laughs> it was a lot of energy is what I will say. So Mel says, uh, Ina says something like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're here for dinner. And he's like, free meal. And he's like, what's for dessert? And then he like walks by her and he like screams. He's like, I love you. And then she like throws her head back and it's, crazy so Mel is wearing I just uh he's wearing khaki pants a navy suit jacket complete with like I feel like it's a light blue or light purple dress shirt or a red tie and a red pocket square um he looks great so they're munching on the blinis which are the little pancakes with the smoked salmon and the creme fraiche and he's um oh they're toasting I think Ina has like some champagne and she's like to stroh um, for making it all happen. Then Mel, right before the commercial great, uh, break, Mel reaches over and like snatches Ina's blini right from her hand and says, can I have yours? And Ina like laughs, but I would have been like, there were only 16 of these and I needed that. You know what I mean? I feel like you don't steal appetizers out of people's. I know like the gag he was going for, like it probably was funny in the moment, but I would have said, you owe me a blini, Brooks. That's what I would have said. <laughs> So uh, now it's time for dinner. So Ina says, um, uh, she's talking to Susan Stroman here. She's like, you know, some people bring a bottle of wine, flowers, and you bring Mel Brooks. And Mel chimes in like right on cue. He says, a 1926, which, uh, you know, is a cheeky little, it's like he's referring to himself as a bottle of wine or something like that, which is crazy. He was born in 1926. Oh, my gosh. He's like 95 years old. Is he still with us? I hope he is. I should probably look that up. Let me look that up real quick because uh, I don't want to be wrong about that. Okay, so I just looked it up and Mel Brooks is still with us. He is. He was born on June 28th, 1926. So God bless you, Mel. You're, you're still kicking. Um, but where were we here? So he, uh, yeah, we were talking about the year he was born. Mel asks about the mushroom soup and how Ina made it. And Je- Jeffrey, you know, Jeffrey has to chime in here with his, uh, with his old, uh, you know, this is the best soup I ever had sort of bit. I feel like Jeffrey's like, hey, Mel, get a load of this. I'm going to tell her it's the best soup I ever had <laughs> because that's my joke. <laughs> and I, I wonder if Mel got it. I, it's hard to keep up with Mel Brooks at a dinner table. That's just the, you know, the overall impression I was getting here. Uh, but Jeffrey wanted to chime in and say, you know, I got jokes too. So I'm glad he got in there. Um, and Mel does this. So next Mel does this whole bit about how he wants more soup, even though Ina offers him Parmesan chicken. And he's like, no, more soup, more soup. And then he like bangs his fist on the table with the fork and knife in hand like a toddler sort of like chanting I want more soup I want more soup um it's funny but you know what's even funnier is like watching Jeffrey react to all this because there's a little bit of like who this guy's this guy is a lot um but Ina is being a really good sport about it Susan is you know just like beaming from ear to ear and um, Ina sneaks away and she's in the kitchen and she's like, well, that's a crowd. I don't want to leave far for fun. No, take two. She says, now that's a crowd. I don't want to leave for f- too long. I can't say that sentence. Um, but in a way, I feel like Jeffrey would have joined you because it was a lot of energy for him. Ina, so you should have brought him in there. 
Um, but she is making, she's finishing up the Parmesan chicken. She's making a lemon vinaigrettes for the salad that goes with the Parmesan chicken. And it's the, you know, it's the classic Ina vinaigrette. It's like the lemon juice, the olive oil, salt and pepper. It's, you know, it's pretty good. It's on like some bib lettuce. Still wondering about that bib lettuce quote. I don't know who, I feel like it's a Karen Walker quote that I mentioned, um, not on last week's episode, but two weeks ago, um, there's a quote that someone says, they're just lying there like bib lettuce. I need to look it up. Anyway, um, so Mel, okay, so she, she brings out the chicken. She plates it first. It looks beautiful. It's like the, you know, the chicken sort of cutlet, I guess. And then the crisp salad on top with a few shards of Parmesan. It's just, it's, it's the perfect lunch. It's the perfect dinner. It just looks great. And um, Mel takes a bite and he loves it so much that he's banging his fists on the table again. And he holds up his plate saying, put this in my car, <laughs> which I actually, I did laugh out loud at that. That was funny. Um, so Ina presents eventually the Stilton in all of its glory. It's like bigger than Mel's head. It's big. It's too much, too much blue cheese, but it is impressive. I will give you that, Ina. And Mel pulls the old, you know, and what are the other people having that joke, you know, where it's like, I'll, I'll take this. And he gives the cheese like a huge whiff. He just like sniffs it. And he says, uh, I'll tell you what. He's like talking to Susan at this point. He's like, if I share my cheese, he said, I'll share my cheese if you share your pears. And it's like, you know, ha ha ha. Uh, the pears look beautiful, as I mentioned before. And Mel has one last bit. He's like, you know what? I'm going to pay for this meal. I insist. Here's a hundred dollars. I'm paying. And he throws a hundred dollar bill on the table. And he says, this is the best meal I've had in years. This is where you can really catch Jeffrey being like, yeah, you gone yet, Mel? You done with your bit? But also never stop, Mel. We love you. And uh, this episode is it's a very, very abrupt ending. It's uh, Ina just saying to the mystery guest. And then it's a hard cut out. It's not there's not like a line. It's just, you know, Mel did his whole song and dance. We don't really need an outro line for this episode. And with that, uh, we solved I was going to say we solved the uh, the crime of the mystery guest. But I guess I I spoiled that at the beginning of the episode. But anyway, this is all to say it's time uh, time to end the episode that's all i have for you this week so thank you again everyone for listening if you want to follow podcast on social media you can follow it on instagram and twitter at good vanilla pod and you can also send me an email at good pod at gmail.com also i made a group for the good vanilla on facebook very easy to find just search the good vanilla if you are enjoying the podcast please be sure to subscribe and leave a five-star rating and review or just tell another Barefoot Contessa fanatic. That also works too. And if you want to know where to get more of me, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Nick Kachanov. And you can find me on my other podcast, The Best Supporting Podcast, every week with Colin Drucker. Thanks again for listening, everyone. Stay safe, and I'll see you next time.